on your journey, resting here just as you are. No pretense, no falsehood, simply sitting worn and tired, waiting at the well side of our lives. Sister Magdalene Lawler, you are a sister of Notre Dame. And well known for the retreats you give using artworks and reflections on artworks. But you've just published a book with Messenger Publications called Well of Living Water, Jesus and the Samaritan Woman. And it's based on a beautiful icon of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. Tell us the background to the book and how you came to write this reflective work on the woman at the well, the woman at the well. Um, This is a small icon, it's a domestic icon in the possession of the society in the UK. Um, I discovered it when I was working with the Jesuits for a time on a project and um, I really loved it. I've used it for about the past 30 years with particularly laity groups, groups of sisters, women in particular, and they always find it very moving and it enhances their understanding of their role as women. And it features Jesus with the woman and they're at a well. Now, tell me about the book and how you, you use that icon and sections from it for the reader as they go through the reflections in the book. Uh, The book comprises about nine chapters, which seems strange for a book about one gospel passage, but it is one of the longest gospel passages in the Gospel of John, and it describes the encounter of Jesus with a woman and a dialogue that takes place between them that lasts for longer than any other conversation in the New Testament. And tell me about the sections in the book then, like if I were coming to it as, I presume it's a prayer book really, you take different chapters I can see there. Uh, What is it that you're inviting people into that you saw in this icon and in the story that you think can bring the reader or the person who's praying through it, where can you bring them? Well, I would seek to introduce them to how to pray with an icon. So we'd be talking about the sacred space of an icon, um, a sacred art, um, how the icon is both a mirror and a window. And we look through the icon, as it were, in order to be able to glimpse God through it. But at the same time, it reflects back to us so that we see ourselves as God sees us. Westerners are not very accustomed to praying with icons. It's becoming more popular. But I think helping them to do that is one chapter. But the chapters then unfold, praying with an icon, looking at the gift of water, um, even the shortage of water in our world. Um, Also, um, the thirst of Jesus, his weariness, his desire and thirst for each one of us. The woman herself, who is often... Um, badly represented, represented as a serial divorcee, for example. And she couldn't have been that in first century Palestine. So why was she excluded? It might have been to continue the family bloodline after the death of a husband. She may have been unable to bear a child. This may be why she was excluded 
from society at that time. And, and I've then, heard it said that the reference to the number of husbands she had was actually probably a reference to the maybe the Canaanite gods, that yes, they didn't have just yes, one god. indeed. And also um, the five husbands is thought to be the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, because Samaritans had in common with the Jews a recognition of those books, but didn't have the prophets or kings and so on. And then the sixth um, husband would represent the imperfection in the Hebrew mind, um, six being incompleteness. Jesus becomes the seventh person, and she's at a well where brides were encountered, where often the, the young man would meet his pr- prospective bride while she watered his flock for him. And this happened often with the matriarchs of Israel. And here the seventh person, which was the complete number in the Hebrew mind, um, shows God's perfection and the perfection of God meeting humanity. It is important, isn't it, that when we look at gospel stories that we see that symbolism that underlies it rather than taking it at a very flat level. What does reading an icon do that adds to the story? What do you think it brings out as opposed to just also reading the gospel passage? I think where an icon is different from a painting, as we understand it in the West, is that the icon makes theological statements that are very simple. Uh, So rather than um, unpack theology, the icon presents us with a theology. So, for example, Jesus and the woman are seated beside a mighty deep well, which, of course, represents baptism. But also the well... Um, is sacramental in other ways. Uh, Jesus introduces the concept of the spirit and truth to the woman and also the fact that it was a matrimonial symbol. We can even see the sacrament of matrimony or betrothal, and I have a whole chapter on betrothal in that well. Tell me about the rest of the chapters there. We got through a couple of them. Well, I've already said a little bit about betrothal. When you encounter a well in a foreign country in Scripture, in the Hebrew Testament, you expect a a wedding to take place, a marriage, and a dynasty to begin. And here you do have an encounter, a relationship, and a dynasty, but it's not a human or physical dynasty. It's a spiritual one that's represented. So there is a whole chapter called Betrothal. But then there is also a chapter called The Marketplace because the place for a woman was around the well. That's where the conversations took place and concerns about children, husbands, um, money, I suppose, all the things that women talk about. And yet here this woman is excluded from that company of other women. But when she understands who Jesus is, and we see a progression uh, as she comes to understanding who he might be, she just abandons her bucket, which was probably the most important item that a housewife could have in those days. It's like throwing out your vacuum cleaner or your dishwasher. (laughs) And she runs into the place where the men met, and they would trade um, in the city, in the square, at the city gates, exchange blocks or whatever, and she had no hesitation but ran into that with great courage. We're told she actually ran back, as did the disciples on the Emmaus Road. They 
ran back to Jerusalem seven miles to tell their company that Jesus had appeared to them. She too runs back into the city and tells these men, come, come out and see who it is that I've met. Do you think he could possibly be the one that unique person. It is beautiful that she becomes an evangelizer, really, in mm. a way, and quite brave because the disciples come back and they're the ones whom Jesus has chosen and mm. they don't get it. Indeed, <laughs> yes, yeah. There's no banquet at this wedding encounter, in inverted commas, and, of course, the disciples do bring back the packed lunch and they say, you know, Rabbi, eat, eat. And he says to them, I have food that you know not of, because his nourishment is different as well. So the banquet is more like, if you like, what we hope for in the heavenly banquet. There's some eschatology in there as well. I love that part in that gospel where she does leave down the the bucket. The bucket. Uh, that's a lovely um, yeah. gloss that you yeah. have on it. Yeah. You can't do everything in an icon, so I presume that that's maybe not referenced, or is it, in the well, icon? The, the bucket is very prominent in the icon. It looks like a classy handbag in the, <laughs> in the actual icon. And you can well, also be work. The, leave down your handbag yeah, and run. Yeah. And you can also see the water jar, though I have a suspicion that the water jar is more recent and might even have been painted in over. It just looks as, it, as though it could be. The icon is dated at about 1800, but I have a suspicion it's earlier. Yeah. But I believe that the society have never had it actually provenanced, so we're unsure okay. about that. Go on with the rest of the chapters then? Well, it's going backwards a bit. I've made much of the fountain, I suppose. Each chapter has a little reference to Ignatian reflection. So, for example, entering the space of an icon, I've used a parallel with Ignatius's practice of hesitating before entering a place of prayer or entering into prayer. And he speaks of it as for the length of an Our Father. I don't think he literally means one has to say an Our Father. It's that awesome breath that you take when you realise you're stepping into God's presence, although God is present to you all the time, but we don't necessarily recognise it. So each chapter has a little Ignatian reflection, and it is also followed by supplementary scripture um, cross-referencing. I owe a great deal to Nicholas King for that part of it. Um, I would. He's a Jesuit yes, scripture scholar British, in Britain. Yes. yes, he's a British Jesuit. I would email him and say, "Can you give me another Old Testament reference that's, that's rejoicing over a well?" And it would come back by almost instantaneous return, chapter and verse. So it's, I'm very grateful for that. What speaks mm. to you most, Magda, in doing this work? and in doing many years with the story and the icon. Is there something that has really touched you personally? Uh, yes, I think it's to do with um, the status of women and the fact that this woman is so overlooked in the West. We read her gospel on the third Sunday of Lent and we hear it preached, but we rarely hear the depth of the encounter preached. And many women don't recognise how much they are enmeshed in the scripture, but we gloss over them. Now, she stands out in the Eastern Church. She has a name. In Eastern tradition, she's called Photine or Photine, which comes from the Greek word for light, uh, phos. So I like to cross-reference names, for instance, in Ireland, the prefix fin. For example, finula is, of course, light. In Scotland, Fiona, Claire, Lucy, um, Svetlana in Slavonic languages all mean light 
And I think it helps women, among other women in the Gospels that we do use as well. But this particular Gospel passage is the longest conversation that Jesus has with anyone in the New Testament. You have a chapter there. I love the title of it. It's Father Jack and Father Ted, give me a drink. Oh, yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That'll go down well here. Mm, Tell me about mm. that chapter. I'm kind of drawn to it. Yeah, well, it's the thirst of Jesus. He truly was thirsty. It was a Middle Eastern country and it was an arid country. He asked for a drink somewhat abruptly, I think, in some ways. And she, at first, didn't actually refuse it, but we never know whether he actually received that drink in the end of the conversation, and whether she did put down the bucket into the well for him. But it references the thirst on the cross as well, that he will thirst for humanity, and that God does thirst for humanity, each individual one of us. So that's where that's come from. But I hope it also makes people think about the gift of water. The Hebrew understanding of water and wells was differentiated. Wells could only be reached by labour. You had to work out where you thought there might be a well and then dig and dig and dig till you got to the water table. Or sometimes, as in the case of Moses, he struck the rock and the spring gushed forth. In the British Isles, including Ireland, we're used to so much water that we don't realise what a gift it is. And so we know that there are arid nations. So there's cross-referencing there about water too, I think. And we have our holy wells, many of them in Ireland, and a a devotion to them, resurgence again in that regard. And some remaining in England. The practice of well-dressing in Derbyshire probably has holy roots, whether pre-Christian and then Christianised. And, of course, places like Hollywell in Wales... Uh, St. Winifred's well and so on. Mm. And, of course, Bernadette's well in Lourdes. You know, the the spring in Lourdes, yeah. That she had to dig Mm. for herself. That's the the gift that the woman understands because springs were called living water um, by the Semitic peoples because they received this gift of water without any labour. And that was the difference between a spring and a well. Mm. No labour involved. You do reference the global situation of water as well, and they, the, not those... so much in the book, I have to admit. Yeah, but um, I hope it will, you know, come through for mm. people reflecting on yes, it because they yes. say the next war will not be an oil war, but could be a water, water war, war with the privatisation of water in many countries mm. by global internationals. Yes. If people are going to read this book, Magda, I think they should know it is beautifully illustrated in terms of the icon. Just explain that. Well, Messenger Publications commissioned a photographer in England to go and photograph the icon, get a very high digital resolution image. So it's enabled Messenger to blow up a detail which can't be seen easily with the naked eye because of certain age damage to the icon. So uh, there are some beautiful images and details. The woman, for example, is unveiled. The gestures between the hands are very noticeable. It's very unusual for an icon to be so mobile and there's a mobility in the hands. One could almost see two Italians talking together. Tremendous mobility and communication between them. The surface of the water from our well And then you offer everything Transforming all we share into a fountain 
mountain brimming over with power to release a dawning of believing filled with courage filled with peace now we're joined by father tom mcginnis tom is a jesuit and you and he have done many retreats together and Tom is also well known for the songs that he has written based on scripture and on particular religious topics. Tom, you wrote, I think, a very beautiful song based on the woman at the well, especially for this. Tell me about it and the inspiration for it. Well, the inspiration came from times when we've been using the icon with different groups and the way that Magdalene and myself have worked over many years using art and music and that is that, that the, the art side of it and all the kind of reflection she's just been making has been her contribution. And I've tried to echo that, but in music and song of different types. So the inspiration for writing this particular song came also from Nicholas King, actually, because he has a lovely way of translating from the Greek in the present tense, which is just beautiful, because it gives a sense of you're really part of the story. And it's very faithful to the original translation. Yes, very, very much. And it was something of that immediacy which struck me very much. Um, And, of course, the vulnerability of Jesus, too, that he comes in that translation and sits just like that at the well. And you, you, you have a real sense of just how human, how vulnerable, how much like one of us Jesus really is. Like you say, he's tired, he came weary and tired yeah, and yeah. hot and thirsty. So that's the whole sort of entry into the song was... He's there with us, and in the song it doesn't speak about the woman so much, but as whoever it is who is listening or singing the song. Uh, What I might do is just read a little from the introduction that I put as an appendix to Magdalene's book. I wrote, It was the experience of encountering Jesus as so human, so vulnerable, like ourselves, that made him someone to to whom I felt I could say anything. He asks only that we risk sharing with him some of our deepest hopes and fears, trusting that they are completely understood. And I think gradually it was that level of trust that's built up within the story in John's Gospel, that dialogue, so that by the end of it, they know each other very well. And I think a lovely thing that comes across from your song is what you say. It leaves us, the listener, able to move into the position of the woman because you are focusing on Jesus, but we know that there's another person there. And so that the last verse of the song is not him on his journey, but us turning on our journey. We are here just as we are. No pretense, no falsehood just a quiet sense of awe and longing now to share with all that we have truly been well-met, well-blessed, well-gifted in love's overflowing stream. I love the play on well there as well. It's beautiful, yeah. To be truthful, 
I was really proud of that bit. <laughs> you should be proud of the whole song. I think anybody listening to it will find that. And one word also, just to conclude with you, Tom, is the word turning. Well, turning, it has a kind of metanoia reference to it. It's a kind of internal turning towards the good, turning towards hope, turning towards becoming everything that we can be, all of that. I know this icon well, being a Jesuit from the uh, United Kingdom. And it, 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 so I know it in itself, live, as something very precious. And one, because we've used it in retreats, it sort of not just grows on you, but it comes part of you. But I have to say, when I saw the quality of the images that the Messenger publication was able to do, it was like a revelation. I thought it was so beautiful. It's, you know, you, when you have something that you already know well, and then you see it again, almost as if for the first time, it was a lovely moment, that. So, so they've done a great service to the icon, to those who care for it, and I hope to everyone who will share something of the beauty of it, that we've tried to honour Magdalene and all her reflections through the little book and my appendix, but uh, sincerely one that I hope will help in the understanding of it all. Final word from you, Magdalene, about the whole process over the years of meditating on this gospel passage and of writing this book, just as the author would have written the icon. Do you feel that sense of continuity and that sense of depth that Tom also talks about? Well, I'm very elderly now, definitely. So I know that my time is limited in this life. I wanted lots of people to know both the gospel passage intimately, as I've learned, um, come to know it, and also to enjoy um, and pray with the icon because it's got tremendous lyrical beauty in itself, but it's also a wonderful entry into the gospel passage as well. Uh, just a postscript. We used the images and introduced the book a bit just yesterday with um, a group and one very nice comment that came from one of them was that, as Magdalene mentioned, the icon's a little damaged because of age. But he said, actually, that meant a lot to him because somehow in the bits that aren't perfect, uh, God is around. Well met, well blessed, well gifted in love's overflowing stream.